You're listening to the Westside Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. My name is Kenny. Can everyone say hi, Kenny? Now you know my name. I'm really hungry right now. I didn't eat breakfast. But it's okay because we're going to eat on some words today. The words of God. I'm excited to eat. You guys excited to eat? Hopefully you're hungry. We're going to feed you this morning some spiritual food. Ephesians 4 verse 10. Turn our Bibles there. And immediately after that, we're going to read 1 Corinthians, okay? It's going to be some reading here. Josh is going to play his beautiful notes to make us feel warm and fuzzy as we read. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about every wind of doctrine by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. Love always trusts. Good morning, everyone. 
My name is Kenny Zuchuku, and I'm one of the ministers here, and I'm so glad that I have this opportunity to come and speak to you all. And something that always excites me about reading that verse is that line, love always trusts. The other day I, was, I went for a workout, so I, I like to run up to Playa Vista and right by LMU, Loyola Marymount University, and you can see kind of the whole campus and see all of L.A. from there. So I was running, and then I got to a place where I was like, okay, I did a good job working out. Let me just rest and chill. So I started walking. And my body was feeling kind of weird. You guys ever feel like that twitch or like a tense or some tight muscles? So, and it was feeling weird like in my lower back and in my legs. So I said, maybe, maybe I should just walk backwards. Because sometimes you walk backwards, you're trying to like work out some different muscle groups, you know, get, work on those glutes, whatever you work on. And I remember thinking, like, okay, but I'm going backwards. What if I don't see? That's that quick thought in your mind, you know? And I'm like, ah, whatever. I've done this before. So I start walking backwards, and I remember I was going up the hill, and I'm like, there's no one around, which is kind of weird because it's a normal day. So I was walking backwards, pulling my string, you know? I'm like, ah, oh, but there's, could there be something behind me? And I remember getting to a point where I take a step, and I'm like, let me just look back, and there's this huge six-foot snake, on the ground, and my foot was like here, whoop, and I just missed it, and I remember the snake like, you know, like the, the sounds that snakes make, I don't really know how to make a snake, snake sounds, but you know what I'm talking about, and I remember thinking, oh gosh, and I have to admit, I'm going to confess, some expletives came to mind, and they jumped out of my mouth, I, I, I apologize, but they came out, I was so scared, I hate snakes! And I remember thinking, you guys know what I said afterwards, those thoughts you have when something you do something, you're like, I shouldn't have done that. I said, I'm never walking backwards again. I was so angry. I knew that that was a possibility that something could happen. I didn't know what it was. And the point is, it was so easy for me to lose trust. It took just a second for me to lose trust in my ability to walk backwards. Something so seemingly insignificant. And it's fascinating how we do that all the time in the church. All the time. So we've decided, me, Steve, Justin, the staff, we want to talk about this. And we, we, we titled our new series called Built on Trust. And the idea is that we are trying to communicate as a Westside church, as a congregation, as a movement, that we cannot move forward. We cannot truly love God unless we trust each other. Because love always trusts. So be careful if you go to Playa del Rey. Don't walk backwards. There are snakes and they will hurt you. Luckily, I did not get bit. So, we're going to read a story here in Luke, and we're going to hopefully break this down. If you come to our midweek lesson on Wednesday, uh, we'll be continuing this story. So I'm just starting it off. I'm just setting the scene, so to speak. So let's take some time and make sure we open our minds. And the first, the first thing I want to discuss is just this word, where the word trust comes from. In the first Corinthians, and often used throughout scripture and if we could put it up here I can't I can't see anything here but it's this word it's a greek word called pistuo 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 
And it means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust. It's a variation of the Greek word pistis, which means faith. They're all related. Trust, believe, faith. And obviously the opposite, the antonym, mistrust, to be uncertain. To believe that something is not true or is unlikely. To have no confidence in someone or something. And it's incredible because I was doing some reading about just different philosophies over the, t- over the years. And I was interested in the 19th century. So I have this book that I refer to and the staff makes all, fun of me all the time for reading kind of these deep theological, philosophical stuff. But I like it. And I was just reading through kind of the history of what people put their trust in. Historically, right? Because we should know that it affects us. And Immanuel Kant, a German philosopher, one of the central Enlightenment thinkers, called for the autonomy and for the individual's release from a self-incurred tutelage, which basically means a release from any guiding influence from the Bible, from the church, from any kind of authority that religion can bring. Kant believed that all you need is your reason, and that's the arbiter of truth. And all judgments, empirical, metaphysical, and all aspects. Reason was the, was the means by which you can discern what is reasonable. And if it's not reasonable, it should be distrusted. The romantics, and not the people that watch chick flicks, the 19th century romantic error, they emphasize experience, feeling. And they disagreed with Kant. They thought that the autonomy of reason was not good enough unless you could have a personal religious experience to tell you what truth was. And if you felt it, therefore it must be real because obviously our feelings always lead us in the right direction. The liberal and modernist search for truth that would be free of inerrancy. They wanted something that was infallible. And since they didn't feel like scriptures or the church could do that, they're trying to find something mundane, something within this world to help them feel like they could trust in. Because the Bible and the church were flawed, right? It's not perfect. So therefore, we got to find something else. And guess what? They're still looking. It's going to be an endless search. One author confidently extolled, and I have a slide for this, the last 300 years have witnessed some of the most serious intellectual assaults against Christianity in its history. Wow. Isn't that a grand statement? But I just started thinking about it. And I started thinking about, oh, how can I know this? How can I feel this war? I thought about Hitler and Nazism, right? And how they extricated all the religious leaders from Germany. Because he knew that if the religious leaders were there, they would go against him. Ooh, that really hurt Christianity. And I thought about Jim Crow laws and American slavery. And how people were put in oppression for generations and told that they're doing it based on Scripture. Whew. That must have hurt Christianity. But to be honest with you, these things we learn in history and these atrocities and Problems have always been there, and they will always continue. But for me, 
when I survey the levels of trust of the current makeup of my lived experience among disciples, Christians in the 21st century, those who've experienced the national pandemic, heightened racial awareness, increased political badgering, the sense I get is that trust for the average Christian is eroding. And it's killing our church. And it's killing the church. You guys tracking me here? It's destroying us from within. And it's amazing because I have a lot of friends, a lot of, a lot of secular friends. I love my secular friends. They're awesome. And you should love your secular friends too. They don't attack me. I don't feel as attacked from them that as I do from within the church sometimes. What about you? Have you ever felt that way? People that call themselves Christians, but you feel like there's nothing you can say or do to earn their forgiveness? Whew, we're going to dive into some passages today. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. But I think that's good. I'm uncomfortable even bringing this up. But it needs to be done. Let's turn our Bibles over to Luke. We're going to talk about this. You guys know who John the Baptist was? Oh, John the Baptist. I'd characterize him as a pretty faithful guy. Would you guys say so? If you don't know who John the Baptist is or who he was, he was a faithful follower of Jesus. He was family. He was a friend. He cared for him so deeply. He paved the way for Jesus. He baptized Jesus. He supported Jesus in his miracles, his healings. He rebuked the Pharisees to protect Jesus. They were a great team. They worked well together. But he's in prison now. And he's starting to reflect on his life. Thinking about things. He's got a little bit older. Things got a little bit harder. So what he does is he sends some messengers to Jesus. And he's going to have this interaction. So the messengers are there, but they're just like him. Assume that they're basically in his stead. That's, that's what messengers did. And they're going to have this interaction. I want us to pay attention to it and see what we can learn from this and figure out what can we do as a church to work on our trust. How can we build on trust? Luke 7 Verse 18 to 20, it reads this. John's disciples told him, they're talking to John, about all the things that Jesus was doing, the miracles, the healings, etc. So he called two of them over, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I'll repeat. Are you the one? Who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you this again. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? I have my first thought with you. My first thought is that trust is a choice. Trust is is a choice. And it's really hard to tell someone to trust you. Like, choose to trust me. Like, make you trust me. That's not really the best approach. I don't recommend it. Maybe if you're, you have a little kid, maybe. But with adults, 
with people who've gone through different upbringings and experiences, they can choose to trust you, but how you help them trust you, you got to win their hearts. Love always trusts. So John the Baptist, probably one of the most faithful men in Scripture, is in prison. He sends these followers, and he asks Jesus really important question. And oftentimes, in life, we have our expectations of people, right? Our expectations of things. And there often is a gap or a space between what we expect and what we experience. I expected her to be here on time. She's 20 minutes late. I expected her. She said she loved me. She says she hates me, you know. We have this gap and this space. And oftentimes, we decide to choose it, to fill it. We choose to fill it with mistrust, with distrust. With, ah, I knew it. Ah, they're terrible. They're off. You know those little comments you make? And other people, they hear it, but they're like, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to get into it. You know? Those comments, we fill our minds and our hearts with this antagonism towards having a heart of love. And I know it's difficult. I want to make sure I say this before I keep going. I know there are people here who've experienced incredible abuse. And I'm not talking about that. (laughs) Let's be very clear. I'm not talking about that. That is not what I'm discussing today. That's a separate talk. What I'm discussing is the small and seemingly insignificant decisions we make all the time to fill that gap with distrust over things that are average. Some things bigger, some things not so big. But you know what I'm talking about. And it's so fascinating because in the church, we're called to build each other up. Speak the truth in love. But in order to do that, you got to trust each other. And what I've learned, and this is what I was telling the college students, is that there are ways that trust is broken. And there's a slide, we're going to put it there. We can blame others. And then no personal responsibility is taken. We can blame human nature. And we underestimate the depths of human sin. Or we blame a system or an organization. It's the me versus them mentality. Mass generalization. You guys know what I'm talking about? And this is how trust can be broken. But here's what I've learned. And here's what I've experienced. The consequences of confrontation are far less severe than the consequences of concealment. Things grow terribly in the dark. You need light. You need water. You need some air. You need, you need things to nurture it. But you know what grows well in the dark? Mistrust. You know what else grows well in the, in the dark? Sin. Those things love the dark. And something that I feel that I can commend John the Baptist for is he was feeling stuff. He was wrestling through things. But what he chose to do was go straight to Jesus. And he asked him, are you the one? He didn't talk to his friends in jail. Hey, buddy, going to be sentenced to death, how do you feel about Jesus? Tell me your expert opinion about him. He went straight to Jesus. But what we do in the church often is we have these side chatters. We don't go straight to Jesus. 
And as we talk to different people about how we distrust other people, other Christians, the system, the organization, we're breeding mistrust. We, we're letting it grow. We're fostering it. We're cultivating it. We're allowing it to have life when it should be dead. And all we have to do is get on our knees and say, Jesus, is this true? Are you the one? And then go talk to that person and say, hey, I talked to Jesus. I have some feelings I need to bring up to you. And guess what? That builds trust. I never get mad at people when they come and they come at me. The college students do it all the time. All the time. All the time. Even right now. We have to choose to go to Jesus. Trust is a choice. We can all decide to make that choice. Can I get an amen? You guys ready for my next thought? All right, we're going to keep going here. Oh, I got a question, actually. Can I ask you a question? When there's a problem, when there's an issue, when, you, when you're trusting someone or something within the church is being assaulted, who do you go to first? What do you typically choose? What's your default? Let's just write it down, process it. Just think through, what's your default? Is it Twitter? Man, I love Twitter. You read stuff, you're like, whoo, people are posting all kinds of things. We think that no one sees it, but the whole world sees it, right? It's Twitter. Don't subtweet. What do you fill in the space between what you expected and what you experienced? Is it trust or is it suspicion? Process that. Be honest with yourself. You guys know who Albert Roldan is? He's one of our college students. They know, but no one is like, who's that guy? Albert Rodon's one of the college students. Last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, I said something to him that wasn't the most sensitive thing to say. Now, I don't remember exactly what I said, which is probably a good thing. But I said something to him that caused him to feel that he didn't trust me. Ten minutes after I made that comment, he comes back around and says, Hey, Kenny, I want to let you know this is how I felt. And he addressed it right then. And I was like, wow. At first I was like just processing and using my, you know, I tended to be a rational person. So I'm like, yeah, but that didn't. And I'm like, wait a minute. He just tell me how he feels. Let me just listen. And then I apologized. I said, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. I'm sorry. But he did it right in the moment. And that makes me trust him even more. What about you? How do you approach those seemingly insignificant things in your life? Or maybe even the bigger things. John was having doubts, but he chose to fill that space with trust. We're good? Point taken, right? All right, this one's a little bit more difficult. Let's move on. Luke's, let's keep reading. Luke chapter 7, verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sicknesses, and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back. Remember Jesus here. He replied to the messengers, go back and report to John. Listen up here. It's going to be really important. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed, uh uh-oh, 
They're harmless, don't worry. Or maybe they're not, I don't know. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And I I was reading this passage, and we're going to talk about uh, the marginalized real soon, but that, that line, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I'm like, stumble? I had to think about it, right? And then I do what I do. I look up the Greek. Got to look up the Greek. And you know the word they use for stumble is scandalon, which is where we get the word scandalous from. And I was thinking, like, stumble. What do we fall? I think what Jesus was trying to communicate here is that oftentimes we can scandalize the gospel. Let me explain. Give me a sec. I was at a wedding yesterday. Me and Val were at this wedding. My friend, his name is Andrew Bowman. Andrew and Emily. I've known her since sixth grade. She married Andrew Bowman. So now they're the Bowmans. And I don't know why I keep saying Bowman. B-O-W-M-A-N. Bowman. It's, it's going to come in, in, in handy here. So he was the best man at the wedding. Oh, first of all, I saw so many high school friends. You never want to see high school friends, right? You never want to do it. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And Val was there. I'm like, please don't say anything I did in high school. It's embarrassing. And that was a scandal in itself. But... Luckily, they were good, and then we went to the, to the reception, and then the, the best man, his name is Drew, he's speaking about the groom, Bowman, Andrew Bowman. So the best man, Drew, is talking about Andrew Bowman. He's telling him really embarrassing stories. I'm like, oh, yes, let's go. This is why I came here. So he starts talking about how in high school he went on his first date. You're like, oh, this is going to be so good. He goes to this movie. And he's like, I'm going to make the move to put my, my arm around her. You know that? Yeah, I'm going to put my arm around the girl's shoulder, that whole thing. Yeah, some of the, some of the students are still trying to figure that out. But, but yeah, we're there. And, and, and so, so Andrew Bowman, he's, he moves his arm and he hits her in the nose. <laughs> like clocks her right in the nose. Super unsmooth. So we're all laughing in the reception hall. And then, but Andrew is a very confident guy. Like we meet, Mr. Bowman, he's really confident. So he went back to MySpace, because that's what he was using back then, a little bit older, no offense. But he went back to MySpace, and he, he changed his status or whatever they did with MySpace to Andrew Elbowman. So that everyone could see what he did to that girl. And I was just thinking, like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. What a great story, so scandalous. And then I realized we do that all the time with the gospel. Because it sounds so cool. Even in this story, you guys are like, oh, yeah, tell me more, bring it. You know, but we do that with Jesus when in reality, he didn't need you to make the gospel better. He didn't need that from you. He didn't need that from me. He didn't need that from us. In West L.A. culture, I've noticed that we tend to scandalize Jesus. We use him more as a prop to prove our points or to dismantle other people's thinking rather than serve him as Lord. It's a middle, upper class problem. And the way I know this is how he talks about the poor. If we don't see Jesus as the gospel, he will become obsolete. If we don't see Jesus as the gospel, we're going to stop building, we're going to stop building our trust in him, his words, his church, and we'll simply look for the next big thing that will captivate our attention. And soon our whole lives become about pleasing ourselves more than pleasing the one 
who created us. The historical events of Jesus, and this is the next slide, don't explain how he learned the way of salvation. They are the way of salvation. What he did is the way of salvation. And that's why he references the poor. He responds to John, who's having trouble trusting him, right? Remember, John is in jail. He's in prison. He's struggling. Why do I trust him? And he speaks about the most marginalized people in society. He communicates, this is why you should trust me. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear the dead are raised. The good news, the gospel is proclaimed to the poor. You know why? The poor don't scandalize Jesus. They don't. They accept him. The lame, the blind, the deaf, they don't try to find a different way to view him. They don't spend hours and hours reading theological books to find another perspective. They trust him and his church and his mission. If you want to build trust in Jesus, spend more time serving the poor. Serving those who experience homelessness. Serving those who can't see or who can't walk. We must realize that it is those who are poor that trust Jesus. It is those who don't see themselves as any different than the poor. You guys catch that? Which is hopefully us, right? We make way more than any, any other poor, marginalized communities. Way more. Those who don't see themselves as any different than the poor who build their trust on Jesus. Not in their 401k, not in the investment property, not in the house they could buy, but on Jesus. It's people who have an understanding of Christianity in this way that give their heart absolutely to him. Are you one of those people? Or maybe it's been a, maybe you're wrestling with that. We, you know, we're not perfect, right? I'm not perfect, okay? I was looking at a house the other day. I'm like, I cannot afford anything in L.A. Struggling. But who do I put my trust in? Who am I building my trust in? The gospel was life-changing. And it still is life-changing. But if we continue to scandalize it with our middle and upper class classism, we're going to miss out on Jesus. And we're not going to help anyone in our communities get to know him. Is that what we want to be known for, church? Or will we build our trust in Jesus? You guys ready for the last thought? We're coming in for a landing here. We're almost done, okay? Some of you are like, get me out of here. It's almost done. This is uncomfortable. I know. Don't worry. Just just stay with me here. My last thought. We are a team. Anyone watch the Olympics? Anyone watching the Olympics? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Let me just sit. Let me just sit. Quick detour. I've been watching the volleyball. I, I played volleyball in, high, in college, so I love volleyball. I've been watching the national team, and it's just been so incredible. We lost to Brazil the other day, which was a little bit embarrassing, but I think we're going to be okay. I hope, I hope we make it to the semis. But I love watching the highest levels of sports because they have the utmost professionalism, and you can tell that if they aren't clicking as a team, they aren't going to win. They have no choice. Even the worst of teams are very worst, like, in the outcome, are the best of 
uh, best of friends. They connect on the court. So I was watching our U.S. men's national team, and I was thinking, wow, these guys are really good. And w- at one point I thought maybe I could play them, and that dream was over. But we're going to keep reading here in Luke, and I, wanna, I want us to have that mindset of we are a team as we read this final section, okay? So Luke chapter 7. We'll bring it in for a landing. Chapter 7, verse 24, reads this. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No! Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one whom it is written, I will send my messengers ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, which is everyone, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So, how does Jesus treat John after John comes and says, hey, I don't trust you, bro. I want to do a little demo here. So I'm going to bring uh, Pepperdine volleyball player Akeen up here. Where are you? So Akeen plays for Pepperdine, but I'm going to make his life a little hard today because I went to UCLA. So uh, we're going to demo. You're going to wear this jersey. Here you go. That's like, don't tell your coach that. That's, that's like heresy. Okay, so we both have, these are our jerseys. Obviously, they're not, they're not the same. For you guys, they're a very particular stop, okay? They were UCLA, UCLA. You get the point. So, in volleyball, a really important thing to do yeah, you can help me here. It's to help your teammates, obviously. There we go. All right. So in volleyball, I love it. I love coaching volleyball. I love training volleyball. So a really important thing to do is setting is super important. Anyone know what setting is? Do your hand. So the setter gets a lot of flack for making mistakes. A lot. So it's, it's, it's really important that you have a good setter. Now, Akeen is not a setter. All right? So let's give him some grace here as we do this demo. He has no idea what we're going to do. I, I just asked him to help me out. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to toss the ball and f- on top of his head. It's a little bit windy. Oh, bro, you know. But he's going to try to just toss it back to him. I'm going to catch it. This is very basic stuff, okay? So he's going to set it to me, and I'm going to catch it because I have a mic, so I can't do anything. So I'm going to toss it to him. He's going to set it back to me. And we're just going to show, okay, you guys ready for this? Let's see if you can move over a little bit. Yeah, make sure you bend your knees. Good. All right, ready? You guys like that? Notice where I caught the ball. It was behind me. That was not a good set, and he knows it. To the untrained eye, you're like, ooh. But to the trained eye, you're like, terrible set, right? So what do we do? Well, we give him another chance, right? So you're going to try again? Oh, sorry, I got to toss it. Ready? So we want to get on top of my head. That's a good set. Ready? Ah, uh, okay. So this is what a bad teammate does. This is what a bad teammate does. You idiot! What are you doing? Get the ball! What is wrong with you? That's what a bad teammate does. I did never. I never did that. I never did that. But it does happen all the time, right? 
It happens. You watch sports, you watch professional sports, you'll see that happen. And it's kind of funny, but also kind of sad. So, but anyway, so a good teammate says, hey, you're, you're standing a little bit straight. You gotta bend your knees a little bit more, okay? And when you tap the ball, remember the wind's coming this direction. So just angle it over here and then we'll, we'll get the connection. Alright? Ready? Alright, let's see. Perfect set. Alright, give Akeen a round of applause. I know it's a little silly, right? You guys get the point, though, right? Guys, we are a team. The West Side Church. The church. Guys, we're a team. We're a team. The worst thing a teammate can do is be selfish. The worst thing what we can do is look out for our own needs without caring about anyone else. We are a team. The church is supposed to be the greatest team ever known to man. But sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it's not that way. And I'm here to challenge us. Let's stop having that me versus them mentality within the church, guys. It's toxic. When we talk about the church as if it's a third party, well, those guys, those guys, that's you, you are, we, us guys, you know? We, let's use the right terminology here, first, common, plural, singular, whatever. We're doing it together, first person. We, we are a team. We are the church. So when someone does something bad, acknowledge the thing, isolate, they did something bad, but it affects all of us. What are we doing to help? we got to stop. It's crazy. It's so interesting to me. How the very same people that say, I want, we need to be more inclusive, bring people outside the church into the church, are the same people that start um, looking down on those within the church. You can't have it both ways. We are a team. Whatever is divided cannot stand. And what John gets here from Jesus is the total, the best teammate treatment you could ever experience. I know you're not trusting me. I know you're having a bad day. I know you're having a bad week. I know you're having a bad year. But I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to encourage you because you're my teammate. You're my guy. And we're on this journey together. And we're trying to win the championship. We're trying to get to heaven and love people and bring people along with us. But we can't do that if we don't play as a team. If we call each other out unnecessarily without the love that's needed. If we hide from tackling the issues that we need to bring up. Teammates talk directly to each other because they trust. Love always trusts. And that's what we see Jesus doing here for John. So, we are now going to transition to our communion discussion. So we've been doing this as a church where, you know, kind of you've been hearing me talk for a while. You're like, alright, well, my turn, my turn. So we want to give you a question to help you reflect on the cross. And the question is this. Does Jesus on the cross help you trust him, his church? Why or why not? Does Jesus' sacrifice on the cross help you trust him, 
And I know some of you here, maybe online, maybe you're not even Christian, maybe you have no idea what this sacrifice means. And if that's the case, just listen. You don't have to say anything. Don't feel pressured to say something you don't want to say. But if you've experienced the sacrifice of Jesus, which is the majority of us here, I want you to talk to your neighbor or a few people around you and just answer this question honestly. Does Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, does that help you trust him and his church? Why or why not? We'll do this for five minutes and then we'll come back. All right? Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Okay, so hopefully those discussions were helpful. I'll close with one final thought and then we'll pray for uh, our communion. Uh, this is a slide. Sorry, Devance, I know I've been all over the place, but it says to cultivate an environment filled with healthy, righteous relationships grounded in love. We, the church, must choose to trust and be trustworthy. If you join us on Wednesday, we're going to dive deep and deeper into this at our midweek gathering, and we'll continue this this trust, this uh, this built on trust series in our midweek. Um, but I think that sin, shame, is what takes us further away from God. Those actions that we commit are void of love. The way Jesus led his life here on earth was the best teammate ever. So he was such a good teammate. He was willing to say, I know I'm going to have a team of people who are going to constantly have issues with me, with themselves, with the world. They're going to have mistrust. But I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that they trust me. I'm going to die for them. If I could do this, maybe, just maybe, they can learn and see that my love for them transcends anything else in this world. And I pray and I hope, if you're a Christian and you've drifted away, or if you're not a Christian and you're trying to figure out what I can place my trust in, I pray that you can remember Jesus. I beg that you see him the way that he is supposed to be seen. Not as a scandal. He is the gospel. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for you. I am so grateful just for what you've done. And how you've been able to put this word on my heart, Lord. Incredible. You are amazing. As we spend this time meditating on your sacrifice, I know some people just don't really understand it yet. I know that was me for years. I just didn't get it. I pray that we are patient. And for those of us here that do understand it, but have been pushing it away, don't even want to think about it right now, because because we know how it's going to turn our hearts. We know how it's going to convict us. I pray that we, we soften our hearts. And we just remember what you did 
You help the poor, the blind, the lame. You didn't see yourself as different from them, Lord. And you did this all for us. So we could know that it can be done. We can trust you. I pray just for the body you set your son that your son had taken from him on the cross. The blood that was spilled, Lord. I pray that we can remember it. Remember that it was real. (laughs) This isn't a a scandal. This is the gospel. Pray that we take this in remembrance of you, Lord. We love you, and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. So we're gonna I'm gonna give you guys some action steps, so things that we can work on this week to help uh, live out the lesson rather than just hear it and then forget about it. And then Justin will come up and give us our final reminders and announcements and then we'll have one final song. So nice advance. The action steps are meditate on Psalm eighty six verse two. Spend some time reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, connecting it with the lesson the best way that you can. And then reach out to someone you trust. Encourage them by going into detail on why you trust them. So let's start there. And on Wednesday, I'll give you guys another action step. But this one, let's start with encouraging someone you currently trust and making sure they know why. Go over the top, give them details, be abundantly clear. Give them that encouragement. So now, I give you Justin Shump. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.